Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a MAR Recovery Resources production from MAR Addiction Treatment Center. I'm Matt Shedd. When Matt R. was in treatment, separate from him, his wife at the time was also in treatment. He describes the difficulty of focusing on his recovery and trying to let his wife focus on hers. Ultimately, she relapsed and was asked to leave her program. In an attempt to save her, Matt left his program and relapsed as well. He walks us through his journey of getting back into recovery using the tools he learned at MAR and how he found a way to stay sober since then, even through tragedy. You leave to go save your wife at the time. And how long was it before you came back here to ask for help? So when I had heard that she she had been thrown, she had failed a drug test once prior while we were in treatment and she was asked to leave and I was told the news and was devastated and was able to sit tight and not call and what can we stop what what comes up for you when you hear that I mean what's that was Matt the one who told you yes Matt Matt called me in his office and he said Matt I've got to tell you something and I don't really know how to tell you so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you I'm just gonna shoot you straight your wife was asked to leave treatment today because she failed the drug test. What's going on for you when you hear that? It was my absolute worst fear had just come true, and I was devastated. My heart was broken. I was terrified again after I'd been making like all this progress, and now all of a sudden I'm like devastated. Now, there's a part of me, like my worst fear had just come true. There's a part of me, you know, it's like I was afraid this was going to happen. Um, so now what do, what do you do with that, right? What do I do with that now that it actually has happened? And uh, that was the question I asked myself, and that was the question the counselors asked me is, are you going to be able to stay And that time I was able to stay. I sat tight. Everything in me is screaming, I have to know how she's doing. Heart in my throat, you know. Adam's apple swelled up the size of a grapefruit. And um, for whatever reason, I was able to put my faith in the process and just sit tight and... um, it turns out that the drug test came back as a false positive, which is rare, but it does happen. And she was asked to return to treatment, and she did. And she didn't go get drunk or high in the 24 hours that, or 48 hours that she was away. Um which, you know, is, to me, was a miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, And what a sense of relief and and all this stuff. And and what changed from that moment to then me being in three quarters and ultimately the same thing happening, although, you know, this time there was no doubt she was caught sneaking out and she was caught using... um, from your perspective, was it the same? Matt called you into his office, all that, or and like he told you, and 
Um, this time it was Matt and Doug. Okay. And um, and I think because I was at three quarters, which you know you're, it's not as structured. They kind of give you the opportunity to gradually work yourself back out into normal day-to-day life. Um, they're doing that all along, but mm-hmm. it's even more so at this point. And physiologically, is that same thing happen for you when they tell you that news? Like, um, This time, there was no doubt in my mind that I was... Well, I don't want to say no doubt. I was like on the fence about whether or not I was on the fence about whether or not I needed to be in three quarters. And so I made the decision to go, but I think it was kind of a a half-hearted instead of an all-in decision. Um, So when she was asked to leave, you know, I basically said, I'm going to go. And they said, that's a terrible idea. And I said, you're probably right, but I'm going to do it anyways. This is my wife and I have to try. And they said, what's different between the first time and now? And I didn't have an answer. You know, the honest answer is I don't know. Um, Other than the fact of I feel like something bad is going to happen. She's either going to go to jail or or worse. and, And I don't think I could forgive myself if I didn't go. And the fact of the matter is, is this is the interesting part. When I left, we went back to our house. Um, Her and I lived there at the time and she was not drinking and she was not using. And for two weeks, neither one of us was, but I had the strong feeling that she wanted to be drinking and that she was not happy without drinking. And the codependent side of me, and when I say that, I mean I need her to be okay for me to be okay. Um, So I went out and bought a bottle of liquor and fixed myself a drink. So when she got home from work, she was like, oh, my God, what is that? Are you drinking? And I'm like, yes, I am. And she's like, can I have one? And I'm like, of course you can. And within two weeks, uh, we were drinking all day, every day again. Um, And within two weeks of that, I'll never forget this either. We were sitting up in the bedroom on the edge of the bed talking. And I said, you know, I've got this obsession that I want to go get something stronger than alcohol. And I said to her, I'm I'm thinking about going and getting some stuff right now. And she said, do you think that's a good idea? And I said, probably not, but I'm going to do it anyways. And right then there was this huge crash and shatter that came out from our living room. And we walked out of the bedroom into the living room and we had nine mirrors that were all linked together on the wall in a big square. And six out of the nine mirrors had jumped off the wall and shattered on the tile floor. And these mirrors were firmly mounted and secured. 
And she looked at me and she said, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. And I said, you are absolutely right. And she said, so you're not going. And I said, no, I'm still going. And we were, I was out for nine months until I hit the bottom with the rope and the gun. She, uh, her name was Melissa. Melissa actually, you know, knew that I had become suicidal and so depressed. Um, and she knew that I wanted to take my own life. I told her that when the power got turned off, I was going to check out permanently and had quit going to work and um, was living strictly to, to drink until that day came. And she knew it. And the terror of coming home every day, day in and day out, and having to pull herself together at before she walked in the door into the house, not knowing if that was going to be the day she found the lights turned off and me dead got to be too much for her. And, and she, I got drunk and passed out one afternoon and woke up and she was gone, which I completely understand at the time I did not. Um, so yeah, nine, uh, nine months from the time that I left Mar to the time that, um, I was truly hopeless and basically what that looked like was I was in my house all alone and fell off the couch onto my knees and just started bawling. And I, I said a prayer. I said, God, if you're out there, please take me off this planet. I don't want to do this anymore. I said, if you're not going to take me, then please help me. But I'd really rather you take me. And the next day, a buddy of mine that I used to run with called me out of the blue and asked me if I wanted to go to a meeting, and he had gotten sober a couple years prior. And uh, I went to a meeting that morning at 7 a.m., and I stayed there all day, every day for 90 days. Um, I moved out of my parent. I moved out of my house and I moved back in with my parents, which, thank God, they were willing to allow me to do that. Um, and that was my last shot, and I knew it. They said, if you drink or you get high one time, you're you're out of here, and like that's it. Like, don't come back. Um, but I think that I really made up my mind that that I wasn't going to go anywhere. I wasn't, you know, God didn't strike me dead. And I'd been, you know, through the ringer and I wanted to live. And, and while I was at Mar, I sat in groups, you know, from 9 in the morning till 2.30 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. And um, then went to meetings at night with my, you know, apartment buddies, my friends, my community members, and my attitude was, I'm too crazy to work, I'm unemployable, give me 90 days, please, to, to get some recovery, and then I'll get a job, and I'll go to, you know, 12-step meetings every day, and my parents said, okay, this is your only shot, and they meant it, and I knew it, and they threw me out when I was 18, so, like, and I deserved it, like, mm -hmm. um, which is another story all in itself. Um, 
but yeah, I went and I went to meetings all day, every day. I went seven a.m. and then I came home and I sat on the back porch and I smoked cigarettes and all I could think about was getting drunk and getting high. And forty nine percent of me wanted to get drunk and high, and fifty one percent of me did mm. not. And there was this internal rage and battle going on nonstop, constantly racing, and it was hell. And uh, I remembered a little sign I saw on one of the counselor's desk when I was here, and it said, if you're going through hell right now, don't stop. Keep going. And uh, I went to 7 a.m. meeting, got, got, went home, smoked, went crazy, went to the noon meeting at a different, um, you know, meeting place, came home, smoked, went back to the place the 7 a.m. was at for a 4.30 meeting, and I stayed there. They had a 4.30 meeting, a 6 p.m. meeting, an 8 p.m. meeting, a 10 p.m. meeting, and I stayed there. I started cleaning the place. I started making coffee. I started taking out the trash, and then I'd go home after the 10 o'clock meeting, and I'd lie in bed, and I wouldn't be able to sleep, and I'd stare at the ceiling, and I'd get back up at 7 a.m., and I'd repeat that, and I did that for the first 90 days. Which is absolutely like I made that, you know, I like I sat through in treatment, like I can sit through here. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's what it took. Um, I was pretty bad off, you know, like, like a lot of us. Um, so yeah, if I can do it, you know. So if I hadn't had that experience at Mar, I wouldn't have known to do that or that I could do that. I wouldn't have done that. So did Mar save my life? Absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's just my story and my journey. Mm -hmm. People come here and they don't go back out. They get sober and stay sober. Yeah. Um, there's counselors that work here that, that came through Mar that have a similar story. Got kicked out. Got kicked out. It's the best thing that ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. And then were invited back. They were they were kicked out, and then they were asked to come back. Not to pay money and come back and go through treatment again, but to come back as a guest to certain aspects of the program where they were welcomed with open arms. I mean... Talk about spiritual principles. That's a big one right there. So you're doing that 90 and 90, or more than 90, 90. Like, yeah, a lot. <laughs> like a lot. 270 a lot. and 90 or 409, whatever. You're doing a bunch of meetings in those 90 days. It's where I felt comfortable. I knew I wasn't going to take a drink in there because there was people that thought like me and felt like me and understood what I was going through because they'd been there before which is the same thing I experienced here at Mar. As Matt got more time in sobriety, he began coming back to Mar, participating in Mar events and being a Mar volunteer. He was actually at a Mar function when he heard the tragic news that his ex-wife had passed away as a direct result of her addiction. I think I was probably in shock for sure for a while. Um After I left, um, 
I went home and I dropped my wife Kelly off and I went to go. There was a big fight on that night, a big boxing match. And I felt like I needed to be around some other guys Mm -hmm. that were in the program and just kind of like hang out. And I don't know what was happening really, but I think it was all by design because Kelly was very concerned about me. She's like, are you sure you want to go? Are you okay? Is there anything I can do? And I'm like, no, I I really just need to go hang out with some guys in an atmosphere that's, you know, not where I feel like I'm going to like, I don't know, I just, there was something pulling me in that direction. Was as, that, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And as I got in the car and I headed up 400 north, and it was a drive to this house where a couple of my friends were watching this fight, I, and I just freaking lost it. I mean, I just I cried and screamed and cried like like there was no tomorrow, and. Uh, that too was not like me. Like, I always bottled my emotions up. Um, you know, to be able to have that sort of release um, and to begin to heal almost instantly and to begin to experience, like, all the, the pain and the heartache but then ultimately to be able to get in touch with all the love and the joy and the good memories and look at life as a whole and the bigger picture um, and to go be around other guys and, um, you know, just kind of like be understand that everything was going to be okay, although it didn't feel like it at the moment, like it had been proven time and time again that everything was going to be okay. Um, So, yeah, I mean, powerful experiences. Wow. One after another. And the list goes on and on and on. We could talk about spiritual experiences that I'll never forget till the sun goes down. Some of those worst fears coming true, the absolute worst moments of my life, or so I thought at the time, have actually turned out to be some of the greatest blessings, which would have made no sense to me at all. In what way? What? Which ones in particular are you thinking of? So when... When I was thrown out at 18 on Father's Day, um, like I never really realized how much my father meant to me until um, I got sober and I'm looking back at that and... um, I realized how difficult that had to be for him when his own son had no idea that it was even Father's Day and had been completely disrespectful and hateful um, for so many years. 
active in my disease and um, for him to be able to, for us to be able to build back a relationship now than, that's stronger than it's ever been before and, and we're closer than we've ever been before and I just think my dad is like the coolest. Um, you know, if he hadn't have cared enough to ask me to leave, then that hellacious situation and relationship might still be going on today mm. the way it was back then. So getting thrown out of the house at age 18, like, was not something I aspired to do and was not something my father aspired to do. Um, looking back on it, it was the best thing for us, and neither one of us knew it at the time. Incredibly difficult for both of us at the time, probably him a lot more so than me. Because I didn't care about much back then. And he cared tremendously. And today I can see that. Um, you know, some of the guilt and the shame that I had around the behavior with my first wife, Melissa. Um, you know, I did things and I said things. Um, that were absolutely horrible and, you know, things that I said that I would never, ever do, I did. I got far enough along in my disease and in my, my illness that I did things I said I would never do. And to carry that uh, negativity and pain and guilt and shame around with me was awful. And... To to begin to forgive myself for some of that stuff and realize that I was a sick person in active addiction and that I was trying to get well and not that I was a bad person trying to turn good um, was helpful for me. And then when she passed... Um, which was seem which was tragic. Um, really, what it did for me was it gave me an opportunity to get in touch with the love that I have for her that would have been impossible for me to get in touch with while she was alive. And that is true, I believe, for any of us pertaining to anyone at all. Oftentimes, it's not until we lose something that we are able to know its true value. And that is absolute truth. And that is why sometimes through seemingly tragic events, um, the priceless gift is revealed down the road. And sometimes on a different level of surrender, it's never revealed. Um, and that's okay, too. If... I find a way to be okay with it. Sure. Um, which oftentimes requires help. Um, I don't think I realized, I know I didn't realize it at the time, 
Melissa and I had divorced and separated and, uh, I saw her a year and a half after we split, she was finally willing to allow me to make amends to her. And she had gained a ton of weight and she had drank away all her friends and she was all alone and she was miserable. And I was not, I was sober and I was happy. And she didn't recognize me because I looked so different and I didn't recognize her because she looked so different. Um, and then about a year and a half after that, she passed. And I don't know, I don't know that I ever would have been able to grow in ways that I have grown without that experience. Um, and believe me, it has taken some hard work. Um, but it has made my marriage that I am in now with Kelly that much stronger because I am with her because she is without a doubt, willing to do whatever it takes to make the marriage work. Um, and that is, that's kind of something that that I didn't know that I wanted. Like, I didn't want a marriage that I have to work at. I wanted it to come easy. And, uh, you know, I thought that's what I had, and it turned out to be the opposite of that. So it just goes to show, like, I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good for anybody else. I know what worked for me. I don't know if it's going to work for you. It's worked for millions of other people. Um, you know, the around the third step is basically what we're talking about boils down to is like, can I be okay with whatever's happening and understand that I don't need to understand it? And to know that I'm turning my life over to something that I don't understand and I can't really define or label, um, that I have a lot more questions for than I have answers for, um, is all upside down and backwards and makes no sense compared to the way I lived before. It is a complete 180. To be at my bottom and, you know, truly hopeless and thinking that that was the worst place I've ever been in my life. And at the time, you know, like I thought it was. Looking back, that was absolutely necessary. There is no doubt in my mind. Like for me, I had to get to that point before I knew that, that this was a matter of life and death. Um, 
And to get to a point where you can appreciate the time that you've had with those that have passed um, and how much they they meant to me and they mean to me is is really a gift, you know? There's a saying that Doug told me when I was here, which is the gift is in the struggle, and I thought he was crazy. I was like, man, that makes no sense. Like, this sucks. And it does suck when you're going through it, you know? Let's be real. Like, it freaking sucks. Mm -hmm. But uh, being able to look in the rear view and, and look back and go, man, without that, I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today. And if I can share that with somebody that's going through it and maybe give them that little glimmer of hope, that little crack in the door that lets a little bit of light in, like that experience was worth it. I'm a better person for it. Um, and maybe they're a better person for it, you know, because of what I went through. You know, who knows? Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is, is all of this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, Five years into this thing, I'm just getting started. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, uh, there's a lot of joy to come, which is exciting. Like I said earlier, if I go back to the life of active alcoholism or addiction, I pretty much know what it's going to look like. In one form or another, it's going to be miserable and it's going to suck. If I continue on the road of recovery, I have no idea what that's going to look like. The sky is the limit. The possibilities are endless. And every day is an adventure of uncharted life. And anything is possible. I mean, I said I was never going to get married again. <laughs> now I'm married with a child on the way. Wow. You know, talk about a, a different life. And without that pain, I don't know that I could appreciate and experience as much joy. It's kind of however far you go down on the spectrum in one way, you can go that, mm -hmm. that far the other. So the farther down you've gone and the more miserable you are, the greater your opportunity for a tremendous amount of joy because you can feel that much more and that much greater. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Absolutely. It's like you got a bigger container now. Exactly. And that goes towards everyone, family yeah. members, friends, um, you know. I mean, yeah. obviously it starts with Starts with you, starts with me, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. That and so much more. Thank you so much, Matt. This yeah. has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. All right, man. All right. Thanks for listening to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production. I'm Matt Shedd. 
The executive producer for our show is David Tate, and Angela Edmonds is the associate producer. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.